All right, so Chloe Riley uh, here with Supermarket News, and I'm joined by uh, Hungry Root uh, Chief Digital Officer Alex uh, Weinstein. Alex, thanks for being with us today. Chloe, thank you for inviting me. I oh, appreciate it. There's so many good things I feel like that we have to dive into. I, it's hard to know where to start, yeah, but uh, I feel like uh, we have to start perhaps with you guys have uh, just just gotten your Q3 uh, you know numbers in, and uh, you guys are seeing some amazing growth, uh, just uh, 45% year-over-year growth for the quarter. Uh, amazing. Um, I know that a place I was going to start was personalization. Do you think that does personalization factor into that growth? Or if you want to speak a little bit to the growth you're seeing, I think our audience would be very interested in that. Yeah, those two most definitely are connected because our core value proposition is most definitely connected to personalization. Our job is to make healthy eating easy. And uh, uh, it feels wonderful that in Q3, we've been able to bring that to more consumers. Uh, I, I, I bet you your listeners would be would be interested in a little bit of a background on what we do. But the short version of this is uh, um, our job is to deliver groceries that make healthy eating easy. And we do so uh, by asking consumers a handful of questions that uh, helps us get to know them. Things like, do you like spicy foods? Do you have any food allergies? What are your favorite proteins? And then we fill their grocery cart with recipes and groceries that we think they're going to like. And uh, consumers take us up on that. More than half of the stuff that we sell are things that we recommend. So um, as, as you can tell, personalization very much is at, at the core of all of this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm so impressed with your guys, just your the e-commerce strategy and the, uh, you know, just on the both sides of, you know, the value you're providing uh, to the to the shopper, or to the consumer. And on the other end, too, you know, just all the valuable data you guys are getting, you know, with like the quiz formats and uh, kind of the, uh, you know, the the free, the, the dessert for life or the cookie dough for life, the almond cookie dough for life. Um, just really, really smart. Uh, I, I was going to say, um, you know, uh, I know we, you guys talk about uh, AI powered personalization and that Hungry Root is a great example of that. Can you kind of break down, break down that term for us? You know, what exactly does AI powered personalization mean? Yeah, sure. Well, first, um, let me talk about uh, what digital grocery looks like today and what standard do we compare ourselves against, right? So much of a digital shopping experience for grocery is taking physical aisles and just moving them online. Um, and it's more convenient to be using your search box and your mouse than, you know, being stuck in traffic on your way to the local grocery store. But we very much believe that there's so much more computers can do to make healthy eating easier. There is all of this cognitive load involved in planning your weekly meals, especially if you're trying to help your family eat in a healthy way. Um, you need to scour for recipes. Then you need to browse those physical or digital aisles, spending the time to get those items. If something isn't there, um, you need to kind of invent things on the fly. And then afterwards, um, you, you, you spend hours cooking. We looked at this model and we decided to kind of put it on its head with... Uh, our service really serving as uh, um, the curator, the agent on behalf of the consumer that understands them and then develops a plan for them um, based upon what we know about them, creating healthy recipes and snacks and sweets and breakfasts that um, we know they're going to like. And as such, we save our customers a whole bunch of time and mental energy. Yeah, so I'm hearing you are solving the pain of Time, uh, time, energy, and also um, kind of the combination of those things against how hard it is to create healthy, 
have healthy meals, right? And sort of wellness at the core of that, if I'm hearing that right. Most definitely right. There are other really interesting things that consumers get from this model. For example, um, a meaningful reduction in food waste. But we'll talk about all of that with time. And just really quick, going back to the AI powered part of it, can you explain like what is more the back end look like? You know, what does that mean for like Hungry Root? Is AI, you know, how does that exact part factor into to kind of what you guys are delivering? Sure. Um, it's really at the core. We ask consumers all of these questions up front so that we could afterwards create effectively a fully personalized grocery store for them and put things into their grocery cart that are completely unique for them. Uh, I think I can confidently say that no two boxes that we ship um, within a week are really the same because uh, uh, everybody's version of healthy is quite different and their answers to our onboarding quiz are quite different. Um, and as time progresses, we get to know more and more about each customer, right? There's this onboarding quiz, but once we send you boxes um, and you cook some of these recipes, we ask you, what did you think? Um, and, and with time, our understanding of what the consumer likes and dislikes improves so that we can be even more confident in recommending you things so that you can discover cool stuff, but also so you can get your staples. Yeah, absolutely. And is this this idea of, oh, I know we're going to touch on feedback focused sort of approach to personalization. Is that in the vein of, of what you're talking about right there? Yeah, yeah, very, very much so, right? Um, how, how does AI do its magic? You put some data in that allows AI to figure out who you are. And then based on that, um, AI presents these options to you. And in our case, presents these options means pre-populates the cart. And then the probably the most important thing that happens afterwards is the feedback loop. Then AI needs to know, did it do a good job or not? So that tomorrow it could do a better job both for you, but also for other customers. Uh, and every data point that you're sharing as a consumer with Hunger Root, uh, you know that, that that data will be used to better your experience next time around. And that, I think, is really a big differentiator about how we think about data and AI versus how AI is just so broadly used in the industry, right? Um, if you look at the Facebooks, the TikToks of the world, the platform is just kind of quietly watching how you're using stuff and what what videos you spend time watching and what you scroll past, kind of observing you from the distance. Um, and I don't know about you, but it kind of always feels almost creepy to me, right? Um, we all know that Facebook is watching, but it's kind of this dark thought in our minds. This exchange of data um, really is kind of borderline consensual here, right? Contrast that with explicit feedback where the platform is asking you questions very directly and you know what they're going to use those answers for to make your experience better. If you set up the relationship with your consumer in this way, where they know that whatever you get from them, they will they, they, they will get a better experience, um, you're able to both personalize better and create a better customer experience and increase trust ultimately, right? Because the consumer knows that whatever they're, they're, they're giving, they're going to get something in return that they want, not, uh, you know, the advertising experience. Yes, yes. The word trust comes to mind. The word transparency comes to mind. And also just this idea of this dialogue, you know, that you're having that is it is this two way street. Uh, you're not just saying, hey, here are our products and we're going to shove them down your throat. Uh, it's, yeah. hey, we have a bunch of products and which ones do you want or which ones are the fit? 
uh, for you. Uh, and that's, yep. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. Uh, I know, you know, just being in the realm of, you know, kind of more subscription based, uh, you know, and, and online delivery, uh, you know, I'd love to hear from you just, you know, what shifted during the pandemic in terms of consumer behaviors, you know, what did it look like before, during, and really what, what kind of shifts in behavior have you seen since? Yeah, well, quite honestly, with the pandemic, we've seen a significant acceleration in adoption of uh, digital grocery shopping, right? Um, We all have gone online and ordered groceries from our local grocery store in the beginning, and we found it quite, quite, quite valuable. But what we've been discovering, especially over the course of the past year, year and a half, and um, we see this most powerfully happening now, and you can see this in our results, um, that consumers now expect more than physical shelves moved online. They want their time back, right? They, they spent so much of it locked up during the pandemic. They don't want to be spending those hours doing meal planning. They value that time more. Um, and as such, if you're able to save them that time, save them that mental effort, um, they will reward you with their dollars and their attention. Um, and I very much believe that this increase in expectations from consumers is one significant underlying reason behind the good quarter that we just had. Mm-hmm. So it's a change in expectations. And uh, again, sort of being able to um, speak to that pain of, it sounds like time, wanting your time back. You guys, you know, are doing this via, I don't know, offering sort of these very specific products around wellness. But then I think also, right, there's meal meal planning uh, recipes, right? Can you, can you speak a little bit more about that too? That it's not just yeah. the product, it's also the saving them the time of, here's how to use the product in the most efficient way. Yeah, most definitely. Um, one of the things we've discovered is that there are many versions of And of course, this means different diets, different aversions, different preferences and goals. And this means that uh, if we are to do a good job, we need to have um, a set of recipes and groceries that allows us to serve all of those different dietary needs well. And a set of questions during onboarding and while the customer is using the product that allows us to map this customer to that right set. Right. Um, for, for, for example, uh, a lot of our consumers are vegans, but a lot of them are also omnivores and being able to figure out which one is which and what their favorite proteins are um, really helps. For example, um, there are some flavors that irrespective of dietary restrictions are very polarizing. For example, peanut sauce, irrespective of allergies for folks that do not have an allergy, um, is a highly polarizing ingredient. And there are folks that love peanut sauce and uh, uh, very much enjoy dishes with it. And there are folks that very much do not. It really kind of splits consumers along this axis. There's many other um, properties that that we discover um, as, as consumers interact with us. And being able to figure that out and then afterwards put the right stuff, put the right recipes into the consumer's cart that take their preferences and desires into account and dietary restrictions and what they believe um, uh, 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 about about health, what they're pursuing in terms of their version of eating healthy. Um, all, all of that adds up to better retention. And- wow. I would not have any idea that peanut sauce was polarizing. I find right? it delicious. So I had no idea that this was a polarizing issue for people. Well, there's a lot of uh, consumers of ours that very much agree with you, and there are many that do not. 
<laughs> wow, wow. This feels like something else I want to talk to you about or in the same vein, which is um, I, I really think the idea of like the nuance of wellness to me is very interesting because I feel like wellness is, oh my gosh, a term that we have just heard, you know, like it's like we're ringing it out. Uh, you know, I want to get more to the bottom of what people mean when they talk about wellness. And I think this is even just what we're talking about right now is a good example of, you know, one person's wellness is not another person's wellness. And so how do you guys approach that with this idea that wellness is sort of a core tenant? I get the impression, you know, from, uh, of what, of what hungry root sort of represents. So then how do you, how do, how do you deliver on that? And what is the nuances that you're seeing in wellness? Sure. Um, well, there's, there's a handful of pieces there. One is, uh, the root standard. Uh, and this is, how we source a lot of our foods. There's a minimum set of requirements that we ask from our vendors in order to be included into our catalog. That's the absolute minimum part. After that minimum part comes this personalization or segmentation component, right? Uh, when somebody um, signs up, we ask them what their objectives are with hunger. Are they trying to lose weight? Are they trying to eat more vegetables, right? There's, there's many variations of this. Do they follow keto? Are they lactose intolerant, right? Are they trying to eat less gluten? All of those help us understand what is healthy for them. And instead of kind of jamming down their throats what our view of healthy is, we ask them, what is it that they want? What are they trying to accomplish? And through these questions, we get to know them. We show them some things that we recommend. We put that into their cart and we see if uh, um, if they like it. And uh, it turns out that, that we're right quite often. Hmm. And, okay, this is a pivot question from this, but like in grocery, the amount of energy that has to go into anticipating, buying, you know, uh, based on what you anticipate is going to sell. How, is it help you guys to have that kind of information just like from a buying perspective then so that you know, oh, okay, this is exactly what we need this next week or month or couple months or how does that play in? You know, like, because the personalization part is so interesting, but then how it actually translates to, you know, being able to set yourself up for success as a business, I imagine is maybe a different piece of it. Oh, most definitely. You're exactly right. I mean, um, if you look at USDA's report on food waste, an average grocery store or a warehouse is the source of 10% of loss of food at that, at that facility. And the reason for this is because they cannot precisely predict what the consumers are going to buy. They can't direct them to the specific SKU that they have a lot of, despite the fact that many techniques are very well known and have existed for decades, like demand prediction, like taking the product that I have too much of and putting it on sale or putting it into a favorable position in the store or in my search results, if I'm a digital retailer. Even then, with all of that, it is still not enough and it's still 10%. Because the consumer comes in into that digital or physical store browsing those aisles with a plan in mind. They already have a plan. They know exactly what they want to buy. And diverting them from that plan actually creates quite a bit of... Um, mental effort, the kind of this very undesirable emotion in the consumer, right? So um, it's a risky thing to intervene in that, at, the, at that moment, right? For us, the model is very much put on its head. That is, we know that this specific consumer loves tacos and that they love both, uh, let's say, chicken and, and pork. And we have a little bit more pork this week than we think we can sell, and it's approaching its expiration. In that situation, a um, average grocer would put that pork on sale and they would be able to get a little bit of it um, out and accelerate the sale, right? In our situation, what we'll do is 
if we know that this specific consumer likes chicken and pork in the with with, with um, the same passion, <laughs> uh, we will just pre-fill their cart with a pork recipe, wow. so that they don't sacrifice on taste at all, but they get the thing that otherwise would go to waste. And as a result of this, what is ten percent for the industry is under two percent for us. Wow! Wow! Hey, congratulations! Thank you, thank you. It, it obviously in the in the um, uh, business where margins are super thin, having a structural advantage like this helps uh, b- both have a more profitable business, but very importantly, be able to keep prices low for consumers, which in the uh, current inflationary environment is a really big deal. There's a connected aspect here um, uh, around supply chain and kind of managing costs for consumers that I think would be interesting for you, if I may. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, Kind of similar component here is uh, um, around um, fluctuations in cost in uh, um, many of the food items that we've seen throughout throughout this past year. Obviously, supply chain disruptions are everywhere, and uh, we've seen these massive spikes for some of the some of the grocery items. For example, dairy. Right this year, we've seen a tremendous spike, and since it's come down, um, because we're in a position where we're able to. Um, basically curate what goes into each consumer's box. If we know that you like dairy and you like some other stuff, we can manage to your budget. And if dairy is spiking in price, instead of passing that down to you and having um, having a much higher bill this week, which is what would happen if you were to go to a physical or a digital grocery store with a plan of your own, we just kind of gently adjust so that you eat a little bit less dairy during those weeks and you eat some other things that we know you love. As a result, as a consumer, you don't even need to worry about this at all, right? That that, that this, this category of products is um, spiking in price or that this category of products is completely unavailable, which is something that we've seen earlier this year. Many other grocers have seen this, right? Um, meaningful interruptions in supply chains that resulted in some SKUs just not being available at all. We kind of abstract that away from our consumers. They don't even need to know. They just keep getting food that they like. Wow. Yeah. So it's uh, it sounds like both uh, just having that up front, um, the personalization up front is leading to you guys being able to make sort of these smarter decisions down the line in, in these kind of crunch moments where it matters, right? Like as, as long as if the goal is to lose weight, you know, then we, you, it, Hungry Root can keep feeding people recipes or items that help them lose weight or, you know, uh, versus uh, that not necessarily like a preference for, or, or, you know, somebody might have a preference for dairy, but if, uh, you know, structuring it along those kind of goals versus product a little bit too is probably giving you guys a little bit more leeway, it sounds like. Most definitely, yes. That's really interesting. And, and uh, you know, in terms of, uh, I had a question too around inflation, which is, you know, yeah, how is it impacting, you know, I, we were talking a little bit about the consumer behavior part and how you guys are handling that, um, which is smart. Uh, but what about procurement? Uh, you know, are you guys finding, do you have to seek longer contracts with producers? Uh, you know, do you have to lock in rates or sign, you know, X year contracts for volume? Or what are you guys seeing uh, from that perspective? I'd say that we're in the same boat from the procurement side of the house as many of the other grocery stores, but the structural advantages in personalization in being able to serve as a curator for the consumer gives us more flexibility. So on one side, we are in, in the same boat and there's 
really no other tools to be had other than what everybody else is using. Uh, but this other side around personalization and around being able to replace products in the consumer's carts uh, without sacrificing anything in terms of their experience, that's what gives us flexibility. That's what has helped us um, do really well through this tough period of supply chain difficulties. Hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, I was going to tell you, ask too, can you tell me just more about even just, you know, the who is the ideal hungry root? you know, customer or kind of what does that person look like from a demographic standpoint or, you know, kind of who are you targeting or are there a couple of different, you know, sort of audience personifications of, you know, of who that ideal Hungry Root customer is? Sure. Um, we find that our consumers are folks who very much uh, um, value their time and find the meal prep and planning healthy meals for their family um, quite taxing and difficult. Um, you're hearing me use the word family because this is this is a really important factor for us here. We find that um, f families are particularly busy, that um, kids are picky eaters, that um, uh, involving kids in food prep, if it's easy enough, is an important factor. Uh, all of these things, Hunger Root helps with tremendously. So, um, so I, I, I'd probably say that's that's the sweet spot for us. Um, we do have quite a few singles and couples as as our customers, but uh, we hear again and again that that families just get tremendous tremendous value. Okay, so I'm hearing family is definitely family is definitely a thing, and sort of uh, you know uh, allowing kids to be involved in like are there simple prep steps that kids can be involved in? I feel like earlier we were talking about vegan too. You know that that maybe there's a plant-based or vegan kind of component maybe to this audience as well. Is that right? I would say that that's one of the audiences that we serve, but it by no means is, is a, a significant portion at this point. I would say that, that, that um, we have a wonderful offering for vegans that that's actually the roots from where the company has started. But at this point, the vast majority of the customers in, in our system are omnivores. Hmm. Okay. Good to know. Um, I was going to say too, in the same vein, uh, what about, uh, organic, you know, how is organic still important to people or, you know, is it moved on to local or is it more about just like, like you're saying personalization and that just can, can vary, but do you still see that, you know, would you observe that organic is important to people? It's yet another flavor of, uh, um, some, some groups, uh, version of eating healthy. Right. There is a subgroup that that very much appreciates organic. There's a subgroup that very much appreciates keto. There's a subgroup that wants to wants to have fewer carbs. Right. There's another subgroup that um, that um, does doesn't want lactose or gluten in their diet. In my mind, um, organic is just one of the ways um, people eat healthy. And it's um really important to support the multitude of them because I think today we live in a world where there's many individual versions of eating eating healthily and if you just support one um, your offering will be too narrow hmm. oh that's, that's interesting yeah that's kind of what we're seeing actually is sort of a parallel in traditional grocery as as well that there is still an interest in organic but it's not uh, you know it's not a deal breaker um, that it's there, but there, like you're saying, there's other things that, uh, you know, that are important to, to consumers at this point. 
Um, I was going to say, what, uh, what are some of the, you know, what are some of the challenges you guys face right now? Is there, uh, I mean, I'm both and sort of the flip side of that too, you know, what are the opportunities of course, but, uh, but what, what are some challenges that you guys still face or, you know, that you have a three-year plan around? Can you speak to some of those? Yeah, of course. I'd say th- this year, we, like many of the other grocers have had significant challenges with the supply chain, uh, and with the cost of our inputs, Right. Um, and, and we were we were uh, very much fighting them in a similar way to other grocers. But uh, like I mentioned, this 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 powerful advantage and being able to curate what goes into boxes has helped us. I'd say another meaningful thing is um, inflation food prices for consumers. Right. Um, consumers are seeing an unprecedented level of an increase in, in many of the food items and they're they're seeking value. And um, there again, and we focused quite a bit into making our algorithm better there uh, to deliver the most value to consumers through elimination of food waste. We talked about how 10% of, of, of food is wasted at the warehouse. USDA suggests that 20%, another 20% is wasted at a consumer's home, right? And when we think about that, it, it, it's terrible for the wallet. This is terrible for the planet. Um, and the magnitude of this is significant enough that it can easily overtake the majority of food inflation that we've seen. If only we help consumers overtake, uh, get, kind of reduce that. Um, and that's very much what we've been focused on. Um, and this, of course, has to do with personalization, but this also has to do with easy to follow recipes. So if you go on Hungry today, you will see thousands of recipes. Most of them are um, under 15 minutes and four or five ingredients. Uh, so really, really easy to make stuff where you don't have a lot of leftovers. Let me cross that over um, to the classical experience in a physical or digital grocery store that actually causes that that waste, right? Um, why do things end up in the trash bin, right? I come into a grocery store, I see these beautiful red peppers that are um, maybe on sale, or maybe they look particularly fresh. Um, And I put them into my cart without having a plan. Or maybe I'm coming into a store that just sells them in much larger volumes, and they feel like a wonderful deal. But again, I don't have a plan for what to do with them. And then a week and a half later, those bell peppers are looking wilted and I throw them out feeling terrible about it. Um, there's this, just this terrible emotional feeling throwing food away, independent of the wallet impact there too. So uh, we take it upon ourselves to eliminate this terrible feeling um, and eliminate the damage to the wallet by helping consumers have a plan. And they consistently tell us that throughout this, this difficult inflationary period, with Hungerroot, they um, throw away drastically less food than they than they did before they signed up, uh, and we're very proud of that. So it sounds like uh, kind of offsetting inflation costs or some of the pain of inflation by getting consumers to think more uh, sort of, I don't know, you know, uh, more smartly planning uh, or you know, offering the service that helps them more smartly plan kind of to help offset some of that, meaning so less food waste, less money down the drain, um, kind of offsetting some of the pain of inflation there, it sounds like. Exactly right. Less uh, less food waste, but actually you don't pay for this with mental energy. You don't need to be thinking about that. 
the service does the thinking for you and you just benefit from that. That's a really important part of this too, right? Whether it's food waste or having less carbon footprint, that's another important piece. Um, a lot of consumers want that, but it's just so cognitively complex that um, that, that it, it is almost impossible for them to, to achieve on their own. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I am definitely guilty of going into a store and being blindsided by things that look pretty and then going home and... Oh throwing them away a week later. So totally oh, get it. Um, I, feel like, the for what we built. I feel like this is a good transition into, uh, you know, the question of just how, how, how does Hungry Root, how do you guys see yourself sort of either in competition or in synergy, you know, with traditional grocery and, and what do you think this, what is this space going to look like? You know, if you had to pull out the crystal ball and look, you know, even just three years ahead from now, uh, you know, what are we going to see, do you think in terms of, uh, you know, digital grocery growth or uh, what's going to happen with brick and mortar? And is there still going to be a place for all that? Um, you know, what are your thoughts there? I think so. I think so. I think we'll see from traditional grocers a desire to deepen their relationship with the consumer and to understand them better. Um, and uh, uh, the, these these themes of consumers wanting more, consumers wanting a plan, consumers wanting time savings, as opposed to just this transactional relationship of browsing digital aisles, that will be much more central three or five, five years from now. I would say um, if today personalization is an add-on, like that little strip that says reorder things that you bought last time, useful but marginal, or things that go well with things that you already put into your cart, useful but probably doesn't drive a good percentage of the sales. Um, all of these are going to evolve to a much more central portion of the experience where uh, it's more recipe focused, it's meaningfully more personalized, where the grocer is paying attention to what you're buying and maybe even asking you questions about who you're feeding and what your dietary preferences are so that they can do a better job for you. In my mind, the end state of AI for, for grocery is AI directly driving um, the majority of transactions, the majority of um, items sold at a grocery store. And today, if I was to guess for um, a typical online grocer, it's single digit percentage. Okay, so the opportunity, I mean, the opportunity, it sounds like is personalization. And, uh, and, and what would you say, like, um, is Hungry Root, does Hungry Root see itself as a, you know, is it a, is a, you get all of your groceries here? Is it a supplement to your, you know, grocery, your weekly grocery? Or how do you, how do, what does that positioning look like for you guys? Yeah. Um, today we have over 500 items that you can buy from, from Hungry Root with uh, thousands of recipes that you can make from them. But um, this doesn't mean that you can buy everything that, that uh, you get from your local grocery store at Hungary. For example, paper towels or bottles of water or Coke, right? All, 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 all of these things. I, 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 I think to, today uh, you, you need to go and buy at the local grocery store. Um, our vision is to be the primary grocer for the consumer. That is the spot where they buy stuff. The, kind of the majority of the items for their week where they do the meal planning and most of their meals come from us and most of the spend comes from us. Um, and then there are kind of on-demand add-on pieces that um, I think will still be quite relevant from um, from on-demand delivery services like um, you know, the cans of Coke or paper towels, things where you have an immediate need and you need this delivered um, right away. Yeah, yeah. And, and see, I feel like this is an interesting space, too. Um, 
uh, you know, I had on here, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, um, you know, I know Blue Apron, you know, meal kit company, Blue Apron started selling more of its meals, you know, on walmart.com a few months ago. And more recently, it was doing that on Amazon, uh, you know, sort of playing outside of its subscription model. And uh, I was at uh, the grocery shop uh, conference recently, and the CEO of ButcherBox was actually talking about wanting to partner, you know, with with more traditional grocery as well. I w- I'm curious, what do you make of these moves? And, and you know, do you guys see, is there room for hunger? route to play in that space, you know, at some point, or uh, does that fit in, in some way with your guys' model? Yeah, it's most certainly curious. I would say that today our focus is on deepening the direct relationship with the consumer because there's just so much more to do there. Uh, that is, um, we want to understand folks that sign up with our service better so that um, the majority of the items uh, that, that they buy can become a super majority of the items. Uh, from what we recommend so that we become so very good at understanding them that they need to ethically spend almost no time at all reviewing uh, and customizing their cart after we've put stuff um, into it for them. We feel that there's more opportunity there for now. So if you ask me to anticipate the next 12 months, I'd probably say we will remain focused there. Of course, if you're selling through a partner, that direct relationship and your ability to get to know uh, more about your consumer and personalized for them is diminished. So for that reason, uh, probably for the next 12 months, it, it won't be in the cards for us. Okay, got it, got it. So a major focus on that personalization, that dialogue, continuing that dialogue uh, sort of with the direct consumer there. Um, and Alex, I feel like, you know, just kind of wrapping up here, what, what, what advice, and you've given us some plenty of it uh, inadvertently, but, but if you could speak directly to more traditional grocery, you know, what, what learns, I feel like, can grocery be taking away, you know, from Hungry Roots model? Um, well, I'd say that so much of e-commerce, including grocery, has been all about reducing friction. That is fewer clicks, guest checkout, the smallest possible amount of time spent on site in order to drive a transaction. And this approach works okay. Um, it optimizes for conversion. That's great. But as time goes on, retention effects become more and more powerful. And your ability to do good things for an existing customer increases if you just add a tiny bit of friction. I'll give you one example, our onboarding quiz. We've recently run some experiments where we added questions to it, obviously relevant questions like what are your favorite proteins? We added friction. And even though we added friction, conversion went up and retention went up. So uh, I I would encourage our colleagues in, in other digital food and beverage to kind of be unafraid of um, running experiments that might add some friction if in exchange they get some retention benefits from understanding the customer better. Oh, Alex, I love that. <laughs> I love that as a final thought. That's great. So it's, uh, I'm hearing, you know, don't make assumptions, right? Don't make assumptions. Uh, don't assume even that adding more friction uh, could be a bad thing. You might find out that, um, you know, the right kind of friction could be a really good thing and give you a lot of learns and a lot of information you might not have had before about kind of your shopper shopper behavior or, uh, you know, your, your relationship with, with the customer. Well said. That's great. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Really, this has just been a delightful conversation. So much insight. And uh, we'll hope to have a get you a get, uh, back again soon. Chloe, thank you so very much for having me.